Well, good morning. Welcome to Horizon and welcome to our new series, Self-Portraits. As you saw the artist painting that portrait of himself, you may have noticed that he began with some things that you might not want in your self-portrait. Some things that we might call vices or pitfalls, things that all of us can stumble into that affect the way we look in the mirror. But you also notice what he did there is he began to repaint it. And that's what this series is really all about. How even though there are these things that all of us deal with that can darken the self-portrait of ourselves, that there is something that God wants to do to replace and repaint, to recreate who we see in the mirror. So we invite you on this journey with us of self-portraits. And as we do, I'd invite you just to watch this clip and see if you can begin to recognize a little bit of what some of those vices might be. Do you know guys like that? Guys that have all the luck, everything seems to go their way. And then there are guys who are down on their luck. Like the guy who had to write this email to his friends. Uh, Please ignore any emails you may have received from me. I didn't send them. My account was hacked. You know, our accounts can be hacked and we don't even know it. And if that happens, it's not something to be taken lightly at all. All you got to do is ask John Podesta with the DNC. In 2016, Podesta opened a phishing email disguised as a Google alert. It indicated to him that his account, uh, somebody had tried to enter his account, and he needed to go in immediately and change his password. So when he clicked on the link that the email provided, well, Podesta inadvertently ended up granting access to a foreign entity known as Cozy Bear, who came into his account and took over without Podesta realizing the access, the control, and the liberty that this foreign entity was going to take. Now, now technically, hacking, well, it has to do with um, something trying to get inside that doesn't belong. Now, for, for Podesta, it was really something that didn't belong that was given permission to come inside. In other words, Podesta did not face an external uh, um, attack on his computer as much as he faced the unintended consequences of granting somebody permission to actually come in. Did you know you and I face that every day? I'm not talking about a, a hack on our computer. I'm talking about a hack on our spiritual lives. Uh, things happening within us that we are unaware of how that came about. Uh, in, in other words, we shouldn't be surprised at the fruit of what we've given access to in our own lives. Uh, for instance, if you're prone to gossip, don't be surprised when bitterness enters your life. Or you indulge in isolation, don't be shocked when love begins to fade. 
you entertain unforgiveness, you shouldn't be uh, stupefied to, to discover that trust begins to fail in your relationships. Uh, you foster cynicism. Uh, don't be shocked when hope begins to disappear. Or look at pornography and don't be surprised when intimacy deteriorates. Now, now this morning, uh, as Drew mentioned, we are introducing to you a new series called Self-Portrait. Really, it's going to be a look at seven unwelcome guests we inadvertently allow to come into our lives without realizing the impact their presence is going to have on our lives, that influence. But we don't want to leave you there. We also want to introduce you to seven powerful antidotes uh, that will change the impact of those unwelcome guests. In fact, this morning I want to introduce you to the very first unwelcome guest. Uh, In fact... To be honest with you, this is the most insidious of the seven. Now, everybody in this room, including me, are well acquainted with this unwelcome guest. uh, But very few of us realize it. In fact, as I look back on my life, I hate to admit it, but this unwelcome guest has been a frequent companion of mine for years. In fact, you know what I'd like you to do? I'd like you to watch this video clip from the movie Brad's Status and see if you can figure out the identity of this first unwelcome guest. Watch the screen. So what is it Brad's wrestling with? Would you call it jealousy? Maybe it's resentment. It seems as though Brad has allowed his well-being to be determined by the success or failure of his friends. And when that happens, it creates an environment for something more insidious to take place. It creates an environment for envy. Now, the problem you have with envy is that It always sets up a competition, but you need to know it's a competition you can't win. I mean, envy really pits you against everyone else in the world. It's like playing the game of balloon stomp. In fact, John Roberts uh, tells the story of going to his child's fourth grade class when the teacher was teaching the kids a new game, the game of balloon stomp. Every child was given an inflated balloon, It was tied to one of their ankles, and and the goal of the game is to smash everyone else's balloon flat while protecting your own. The one person with the inflated balloon at the end of the game wins. Now, the problem with balloon stomp is it's a zero-sum game. I mean, if I win, then that means you have to lose. I mean, everyone in the room is against you. Everyone is an obstacle to overcome, somebody to compete against. Uh, You could call it a a Darwinian contest. It's survival of the fittest. Well, Well, the signal was given, the game began, and balloons were being burst all across the room one after another. Uh, Some kids were targeting their friends' balloons. Uh, Others were hanging out around uh, the boundaries, hoping to be unnoticed. 
I mean, on and on it went. The game was over for in just a few minutes, and one balloon remained. And that child, well, became the most hated kid in the class for a moment. You see, if you win at balloon stomp, you lose. Now, the same is true with envy. By winning, you actually lose. And the reason for that is, well, envy is never satisfied. I mean, envy is unique because it really can never be enjoyed. I mean, think about it. Other transgressions provide a degree of satisfaction. I mean, take adultery. That gives you a moment of pleasure. Gluttony gives you a satisfying taste of food. Greed will enhance your portfolio. But envy only makes you more miserable. I remember my first introduction to envy when I was a kid. In the summers, my mom would uh, give my sister Susan and I a treat in the afternoon to tide us over for supper. I mean, it could be a cookie or a banana, something like that. This day, it happened to be a single slice of chocolate cake. And she told us she was going to split it between us, and that would be our treat. And when I remember the tension of watching her grab the knife and begin to cut that cake in half. I mean, the way I saw it, there needed to be equal amounts of cake and equal amounts of icing. I mean, really, an impossible task. As my mom studied it, she realized that this was a lose-lose situation. No matter how she cut it, somebody was going to be upset. Nobody was probably going to be happy. So she paused for a moment, and then she looked at me and said, Doug, here, you cut the cake in half. Well, I gladly took the knife. I'd be glad to cut it. I knew exactly how I was going to cut it and which half would be mine. But then she said, and your sister Susan gets to pick which half is hers. Well, that was a wrinkle I hadn't anticipated. I think it took me a half an hour to cut that thing in half. And when I did, Susan got to choose. And I'm telling you, the smug look on her face convinced me she knew she got the bigger piece. You see, I was resentful. I made friends with envy that day. Uh, In fact, I've been surprised at how envy has been a frequent companion of mine, really, throughout the years, throughout the decades. When I was in junior high, I envied anybody who was more popular than me. In my early years of marriage, I I, I envied anyone whose marriage seemed easier than mine. In my 30s, I found myself envying envying uh, people my age who could afford things that I couldn't. Uh, In my 40s, well, it was colleagues that I went to seminary with. I envied their success. Uh, In in the 50s, it was anyone who had a bigger church than I. And now in my 60s, I mean, I've had to lower my standards. I, I envy anybody who has two good knees. When you think of envy, we tend to think of jealousy. But did you know envy is more like, well, jealousy on steroids? Uh, they just aren't the same. When I, I'm envious, well, I feel, I, uh, 
have an inordinate desire to possess something you have. Now, it could be an ability you have. It could be the attention you receive, a quality you possess, or just your piece of chocolate cake. But you need to know that envy is more sinister than all that. It sees a person's virtue, in other words, their strengths, their abilities, uh, their position, their opportunity, their piece of chocolate cake, and it feels contempt for them. That's envy. In fact, uh, God overheard two friends arguing one day about who's the greatest. And God had about all he could take, so he interrupted. He said, okay, just tell you what, guys. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you anything you ask for, anything, but there's one caveat. Whatever you ask for, your friend will get twice as much. Well, he pointed to the first guy and said, you pick. The guy thought. He said, well, if I ask for riches, my friend's going to be twice as rich. If I ask for fame, he's going to be twice as famous. Suddenly, he realized what he needed to ask for. He asked to be blind in one eye. (laughs) Now, that's envy. That's the insidious nature of this attribute. By by the way, did you know there were only two people in the world when envy first showed up? Uh, Genesis tells us the first place envy shows up was in the garden with Adam and Eve. And if you remember the creation story, you remember that God's enemy, the serpent, approaches Eve and said, Did God indeed tell you you could not eat from all the trees of the garden? And Eve answered and said, Well, well, God said we could eat the fruit of any tree in the garden except the the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. Uh, We cannot eat from it or touch it lest we die. And the story goes on. The serpent assured Eve that she would surely not die, that the day she ate from it, she would be like God, knowing good from evil. In other words, he was saying, Eve, I think God's holding out on you. He's got something you want. And so Genesis goes on to tell us that Eve took of the tree and ate and gave it to her husband who was with her. And envy won its very first victory. But it's not long before this unwelcome guest shows its ugly head again. Because Adam and Eve, remember, they had two sons, Cain and Abel. Now, Cain was a farmer. Abel, well, he was a shepherd. And Abel presented God with an offering that he was pleased with because it came from a heart that genuinely loved him. But his brother, Abel, ends up presenting God an offering that God rejects because it didn't come from a heart that genuinely loved him. And then the book of Genesis says this. You can put it up on the screen. And Cain was very angry And his countenance fell. That's when envy got his attention. And envy ends up convincing uh, Cain that God's rejection of his offering is somehow directly tied to the 
acceptance of Abel's offering as if God could only accept one and not the other. And so envy enters, which leads to hatred, and hatred leads to murder. And Genesis tells us that Cain rose up and killed Abel, his brother. Envy wins another victory. And then a few generations later, you find envy showing up in a marriage. You might remember Jacob was tricked into marrying two sisters. There was Leah and Rachel, but only one of them could actually have children. Leah, the unwanted, ugly wife, well, she was a baby-making machine. She could crank them out one after another, and that's where envy begins to get a toehold. Envy goes to Rachel and convinces her that somehow Leah's children, well, they diminish her significance, and so Rachel would rather die than rejoice in her sister's good fortune, her blessing. Uh, And as a result, envy is the one that ends up rejoicing, but it's not finished yet. Uh, you might remember Rachel does have a child. She gives birth to a son. His name is Joseph. And Joseph becomes the favored son of his father, which makes all his half-brothers envious. So one day they attack him, they throw him into a pit, and then they sell him into slavery, and envy celebrates another victory. And on and on and on it goes throughout the whole Bible, from one end to the other. By the way, did you know that it was because of envy that Jesus was crucified? In fact, in the Gospel of Mark, um, he describes Jesus being brought before Pilate as the crowds were crying out for him to be crucified. And then Mark records this. For he, um, for he, that is Pilate, speaking of Pilate, knew that the chief priests had handed him over because of envy. Maybe you never saw that before. Every time envy raises its head, it brings about misery, death, and destruction. You see, envy is a big problem throughout the entire Bible. But... Today, I think we face an even bigger issue with envy, and that's because I think we live in a culture of envy. The English word envy comes from the Latin invidia, meaning to look upon with malice. In other words, you wish the other person harm, and you can see that clearly in Cain's response to his brother Abel. But here's the insidious nature of envy. Notice, envy... Go ahead and put it up. Envy usually comes in response to something you should feel admiration for. In other words, I see your success. I see your position. I see your joy. I see that good thing, but it makes me feel bad. I mean, it calls me into question. What it does is it taunts me. It makes me doubt myself. It even makes me doubt God. Why didn't God give me his strengths or that person's opportunity or their ability? So instead of feeling praise and admiration for a good thing, I end up feeling disdain for a person or even a group of people for what we don't have. And if you look around... I mean, envy is rampant throughout our culture. 
In fact, I think Dorothy Sayers had a remarkable insight into envy when she she said this. She said, envy hates to see other men happy. It begins by asking, why should I not enjoy what others enjoy? But it ends by demanding, why should others enjoy what I may not? Now, now there's nothing wrong with saying, uh, I, I, I would like to have, I desire to have his skill at golf or her natural beauty or his good looks or her position in the, country, in, in the company. So long as those longings, those desires that you want lead you back to God. God, I'd like to lead a company like that one day. Would you work so that that might be possible? See, there's nothing inherently wrong with longing or desire, but did you notice the subtle shift Sayers identified? It's a shift from desire to why should others enjoy what I may not? And you really see that phenomenon rampant in social networking sites across the the Internet. And human nature being what it is, it's just natural for us to compare. And when we compare ourselves to others, it just creates fertile ground for envy to take root. In fact, there have been a number of studies that have identified this negative phenomenon. In fact, one study said this, one in three feels worse after visiting Facebook indicating their general dissatisfaction with life has increased just by visiting Facebook. So you get on social media and it appears everyone else in the world leads a better life than you. They're happier than you and that creates fertile ground for envy to take place. Uh, Another study said this. uh, Social interaction is the second most common cause of envy as users see how many birthday greetings they receive compared to their friends or how many likes or comments are made on photos and postings. Huh. I guess I really don't know how many times. I mean, I've gone online and posted a picture on Facebook, then gone back three days later to see... I mean, how many comments or likes I got? None. (laughs) And then my wife, Patty, will repost my picture and her Facebook lights up with comments. Now I find myself envious of my wife. The article goes on to say this, these feelings of envy prompt some users to boast about their achievements in order to make themselves appear more successful than they really are. Not that you've done that by any means, but that does happen. And as a result, this led to a new phenomenon in our country, a psychological phenomenon called Facebook envy. Now, why is that? Well, one author said the reason envy is so pervasive in our culture today is because of the proliferation of the offended Self. Now, the offended self says, if they have a right to that, then I should have a right to that. The offended self says, I, I, I really offended that I don't have the same opportunities that you do. 
and seeing what others have, what others enjoy, uh, what they get to do. It feeds this offended self. And you can see it uh, throughout our country with the victim mentality that's so prevalent today. In fact, listen to what else Sayers happens to say. Envy is the great leveler. If it cannot level things up, it will level things down. The words constantly in its mouth are my rights and my wrongs. At best, it's a climber and a snob. At worst, it's a destroyer. Rather than have anyone happier than itself, it will see all miserable together. That's no wonder that Solomon, the wisest man in the entire world, when he comments on envy, he puts it this way. He says, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Now, it, it, doesn't follow, it does follow logically that if you're envious, well, you can't really rejoice with someone else's good news. But did you notice it's worse than that? And look carefully at what Solomon says. He says, in the same way a healthy heart brings life to the body, envy will bring decay into the framework of living. It will destroy your soul, your relationships, your overall enjoyment of life. And that's because envy by its nature focuses on what you don't have. And so, I mean, you could say envy in and of itself, it destroys your sense of gratitude. In other words, instead of being grateful for what God has given you, has blessed you with, you end up resenting what you don't have. I mean, an A is not good enough if your buddy got an A+. A billion dollars is not enough if that person over there has two billion dollars. Envy is never satisfied. It destroys your sense of gratitude, but really it, it's worse than that. Secondly, envy denies the very love and goodness of God. Maybe you've never thought of it that way. I mean, if God, if you begin thinking, if God is good, if God really loved me, if God really cared, then he would give me the same abilities that so-and-so has. But, but God has blessed us with different skills, different abilities, different opportunities out of a heart of love in order to enrich our lives. Otherwise, I mean, life would be boring because we'd all be exactly the same. So envy, it just hurts your sense of gratitude. It destroys it. It denies the goodness and love of God. And envy ultimately brings about disappointment with God. In fact, you could define envy this way. Envy is resenting God's goodness in other people's lives while ignoring His very goodness in your own life. Your own life. Envy always goes back to a mistrust of God. So why in the world would you want this thing in your life? What's the antidote to this unwelcome guest? Well... I think envy can be dislodged by blessing. By blessing. You want to remove envy from your life? Then cultivate a heart of blessing other people, especially those you're envious of. Now, now to do that, well, you've first got to admit to God in yourself that you've conceded ground to envy. 
I mean, admit that to God and then tell him that you don't want it in your life, that it's wrong. And then ask him for help in removing envy from your life. Ask him to dislodge it. That's where it's got to begin, with God. Secondly, develop the practice of admiration and gratitude. Now, this is going to sound simple on the surface, but it is very difficult. You find yourself resenting somebody? Then ask yourself, what is it that that person has that I think I need? And once you figure it out, then purposely thank God that they have it. Thank God that he's got such great generosity in their lives. Thank him for the opportunities that they have been given. Now, now to do that, you're going to have to remind yourself, well, I have exactly what God wants me to have for my own growth and enjoyment. And if I don't have something I want or think I need, then in reality right now, I must not need it or God would provide it. It's the only way you can do it. And, and then third, be willing to take on the mantle of servant. And to do that, I'm suggesting that you begin praying for that person. Pray for their success. Pray for their con- God's continual blessing on their life. Pray for his advancement in the company. Uh, pray for her pregnancy, especially if you're envious of that. And then remind yourself, well, I'm not going to look. I'm not going to allow what looks like inequality, what looks like disadvantage, what look like, looks like God is more generous with them than me. Anywhere near my soul, I'm going to begin praying blessing over their life. Now, the reason I say that is because of this. Kindness will always offer a cure to envy. By placing the desire to help others above the need to supersede them. Remember the story I told you about Bloonstomp? Well, uh, this father went on to say that what happened next in that classroom was very disturbing. Another class entered the same room in order to play Bloonstomp. Only this class was filled with mentally disabled kids. Uh, They listened to the same instruction. Same signal was given in order to start the game. But this time, the game progressed entirely differently. Uh, When the instructions were given, I mean, really, the only thing that really sank in as they listened was that, well, balloons are supposed to be stomped on. So... When the whistle went off to start the game, they formed a kind of, well, balloon stomp co-op. One little girl knelt down on one knee, got her balloon, held it out in front like uh, the holder for a field goal kicker, and motioned for this little boy to come on over and stomp it flat. Bang, he did. Then he knelt down, held his balloon, she stood up, and she got the opportunity to stomp his flat. Bang! He did, or she did. Balloon after balloon popped until every balloon in the room had popped, and the kids erupted in applause and laughter. Those children had discovered the joy of serving one another. You see, 
I think that's what God has in mind when he wants us to neutralize envy. Uh, As you cultivate a culture of admiration and gratitude, and as you develop a heart for serving others, I mean, it it, it might surprise you. you. You'll begin to see envy dislodge from your life. And it'll be replaced by another attribute. Empathy. Empathy for the people around you. Maybe even empathy for the person you had just envied. Drew, would you come up and close out the service? Well, I will close us in prayer in just a minute, but first I would like to uh, apply some of the notes I was just taking during your message. (laughs) It says here, uh, develop the practice of admiration and gratitude. Guys, Doug is retiring this weekend. I would just like to take this moment to admire you and give gratitude to God for you, Doug, and for what you have been as a part of our team here at Horizon, what you have been as uh, just a friend for me, and I know I've, I've shared this with you, but um, I've known Doug for, I think, about six years of the ministry that he has done, but I know that there are decades before that of you living out what you just shared with us right here, the joy of serving others. And I know that for every story that I could tell about you on this stage today, that there are thousands more, probably even just in this room, of men and families who have been impacted by your willingness to take what God has given you and share it with us. And so we just would like to thank you and thank God for that today. Would you thank Doug with me and thank God with me? Now, Doug hates this kind of attention, so I won't let it go on all day. (laughs) But I want to thank you for thanking Doug as well, and just remind you that we are throwing a big party for Doug at 3.30 today, so if you'd like to come share with him one of your stories or give him some of that thanks, that's going to be a great time to do that, uh, because we are just so thankful for who you are and for who God has given us in you, and we know that going into retirement is not the end of you joyfully serving others, and so I'd like to just pray for all of us and pray for you. And uh, as we overcome the envy of Doug's retirement, (laughs) uh, just that we would look like you have to how we serve God. So let's pray together. Lord, I am just so thankful for Doug, and I'm so thankful for the heart that he has and how he demonstrates, Lord, that he's willing to share a weakness and share a strength that he gets from you, and that we have seen his faithfulness to you, and that so many of us can tell stories about how, uh, how he has just demonstrated your love in our lives, how he has spoken the heart of the Heavenly Father and how he has shown what it's like to be joyful in service. Lord, even as we listen to a message like this today, I pray that you would help all of us. I know uh, I'm even surprised in the last half hour at some of the places of envy that I realize I haven't paid attention to. And so we just ask that you would shape in our hearts, instead of that envy, just a kindness toward one another, a joy to serve the people around us, the people we work with, the people in our families, the people we come into contact with, even just through this next week. And Lord, even as we celebrate Doug today, Lord, we ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, giving you thanks. Amen. Thank you for being here this morning. Talk to Doug. If you'd like to come back for the party at 3.30, and we'll either see you at the party or we'll see you next week. Thanks for coming.